the 7th Level Barbcast. My name is Jason, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Jared and Michael. We've been gaming together for several years in various RPGs. What we discovered from our hours at the table was how much we grew from that experience. Now we're here to share our unique perspective with all of you. Today we're going to cover the topic of world building. Let's get into it. So, we're here talking about world building today. This has been an interesting discussion for us. We want to lay it down a foundation of what world building is and then delve into how we get to it. During the discussion of what world building is, we came to a point where some of the terms that we were defining may not have meant the same thing to all of us. We decided to just take this first episode. We're going to split this world building into two episodes today. And we're going to take the first episode and just kind of have a discussion of what we define world building as and kind of what it means to each of us without getting into too much terminology that we initially wanted to do. We're just going to go ahead and have that discussion. I will say that when we were writing notes for this, we defined it as consistent and flexible. So we will be talking about that quite a bit today. We're probably going to be using those terms loosely rather than actual definitively. I'm going to look to my co-hosts here and see who would like to kind of jump us off into this discussion. Jared, yes. I don't even know if you introduced us, I'm going to be honest. I don't remember hearing you introduce us. Jared and Michael. Well, I am death. He did. So I heard him. Just a heads up, one of my co-hosts is paying attention to me. (laughs) He's not important. Um, Another thing that we will probably be referencing quite a lot is uh, hard and soft world building. Uh, When we were researching, we found this to be very helpful, but it's usually referred to in stories rather than uh, actual interactive media like a tabletop game. But we might bring it up again. Yeah, there are more... Um, do you want me just to go over some of the things we're going to be talking about in, like, a quick definition type deal? I know we didn't say... I mean, you can jump... I, I would just go over them. Don't try and define them too much. But yeah, you can give a quick... No, I was just going to, like, give, like, a single sentence. Like, consistent uh, things that have already been revealed to the player and probably shouldn't change. Flexible. Things that haven't uh, been revealed and can be manipulated at will. Setting. All the elements within your story, basically. NPCs. I'm a bit confused on this one. Uh, Atmosphere. How you want the game to feel and the emotions and general themes of it. Plot lines was another one, which is pretty self-explanatory. And then finally, player emotion. How to not only build the world, but get your players to actually have a valid and consistent and, uh, damn it. A valid and engage, a valid engagement with your world. I don't know what I was trying to say with that last one, I'm gonna be honest. Yeah, you, you said NPCs that you, you didn't understand that one. You know, when I was thinking about setting, I was thinking people are part of a setting. Yeah. An NPC is is singular you know i mean when oh. you think about a, a people a, does that make sense like unless you're talking about a specific person that's just part of the setting like you're talking about this kingdom full of these people 
those are setting people because they're not an actual NPC. NPC is the singular person that you're interacting with as a character. Hey, Jason. Yes. Can you imagine what I'm going to tell you? No. Those are the same thing? Uh, to me, NPC is all part of the setting. Uh, because... To me, a setting, for me, I describe the setting as all the articles inside of the world. So whether it's a building, whether it's a nation, whether it's a guild, whether it's a people, whether it's a person, or whether it's an ideology, all of those are just articles of the setting. Um, don't get me wrong, an NPC is an important thing and it can be separated from the setting, but in the end, it is still part of the setting to me. What I'm talking about is not... Yes, they are part of the setting. And yes, they make up the setting. But what I'm talking about is defining them in world building. You don't... When you're developing a setting, you're not defining NPCs every time you... I So, for me... When I wrote out NPCs, it, it to me is a separate part of when you're writing out your campaign. Yeah. So what you're saying is when you're writing it out, you're writing out NPCs every time you define uh, like a building or... Uh... Uh, no, I'm saying that uh, if I'm going to... If I'm writing a setting, and just like I would write a building, I might decide I'm going to write an NPC. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or is that the same thing? No, 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 no. It makes sense that that's part of the setting. Okay. But I just, to me, they're two separate things when I'm writing things out. And just to be clear, just to be clear, now that you've explained yourself, I do understand why they're in here and why they're separate from the setting. And I do agree that they are sometimes more important or entirely separate from a setting. But to me, it's just how I categorize them. I've always categorized them as part of the setting, so... Well, and the other thing, too, is, like, I think of them kind of as, like, living versus not. Like, to me, a group of people that are part of a setting don't have life in them like an NPC would. To me, an NPC is going to drive my plot line, whereas a setting is going to give the material in which the plot line takes place. Hmm. Does that... <laughs> Does that That's, make sense? No, I, I, yeah, that makes sense, and I agree with it to a point. <laughs> it's just it's, it's like... interesting because one of the things, one of the things I think of when I'm doing a setting is how will this drive my players, and if I have a specific plotline in place, how will the setting drive that plotline? So that's just interesting. How you don't usually you think of the setting as just the set not the uh well and it doesn't have any impact on the players in well the think driving. about jared think about how much i describe a room when you play in one of my games. almost never like to me yeah you only do it when it's important yeah to me like the background is not important it's the interaction between people but that's how i live that's how my life is too yeah. Yeah, I, I remember when we were playing with Gary, and Gary would always, we'd go in a room, You, I'd send you guys in a room, and he would have to ask me about all the elements in a room. I might have an idea in my mind what actually is there, but it's really not important to what's happening in the story for me. And so that's why I would think of it that way. But 
again, see, this is why when I was writing out the notes, I put a lot of my own influence in it, and that's why I wanted to... I, I agree with you guys about having this discussion because my definition of of what goes into it is different from what you guys talk about. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's... <laughs> It actually makes me... We went down a really deep hole on what NPCs well, hold are. Hold on. <laughs> well, no, what we did was we started having the discussion that we promised our audience. See, this is called a discussion, Jason. It seems to me it's a conversation between the two of you, so I'm going to go ahead and add my two cents Well, here. I was waiting. Jeez. And the room gets quiet. Uh, I was being patient. I know at my age, that's just natural. Everybody either thinks you're patient or you're almost dead. Well, I just think that it takes a so long time for your brain to comprehend everything, and then you process it out. Yeah, I, I was there with you, Jason. <laughs> Go ahead, Michael. I mean, you believe which believe what you want to believe. I will continue with what I think. Uh, on the idea of a definition for world building, conversation we had <laughs> beforehand was we don't really have a definition that all of us agree on that can be solid across the board. There's too much nuance between a hard and soft or a consistent and flexible or any other term that you wish to apply that basically is just wordplay. For me, the definition of world building is the assembly of elements to construct a world where the story will take place. That's that's my hard and fast definition of what world building is. It's not the end all be all, but it's where I start. I want to be able to like an engineer, you take and you start with an idea. And then you take that idea and you make drawings and present those drawings to other people and they give you feedback. And then eventually that drawing gets down to a final plan or a blueprint. And then the blueprint becomes the next stage where the players become involved and they add their characters to the blueprint. The blueprint stays flexible, but it does have, it's not a solid framework. I know uh, I've, I've kind of left myself some wiggle room here, but it's elastic. You stretch it out and when you let go, it comes back into a semi permanent state. Players, they will push as far as they can to have the boundaries of the world meet their demands rather than hard walls set. So world building allows you to have those elements come together. And then inside that framework, that playground, you can present a story. You can set up the elements of your setting, your NPCs, your plot lines, your story hooks. And I think it all comes down to presenting them with an idea of what would be fun and engaging. So I think this topic is very difficult for us to just whip out a single sentence or a, a two terms that define it. I mean, we've been struggling with it for well over a month. We've been having this discussion back and forth. Not, none of us could agree on anything because we all see the nuance of it. And I think that nuance is where each of us will find our own little niche. Jason does it different than I, and I do it different than he does. Jared occasionally does it. I mean, he does it different than Jared, uh, Jason and I. We all have our own ways. It's To me, world building is a personality that you develop. And I think in the end, that's kind of where I stand. I also want to just uh, put in some two cents here. That was my five minutes. Thanks, folks. Just because we didn't agree on most of the things that we discussed 
doesn't mean that we disagreed either. A no, lot of those, it no, just we... comes down to everyone's going to have their own way of doing this, and we we can't tell you how to do it without telling you all personal way. No, no, I, I agree with you. you. I agree with what you're saying. I think that during our our discussion, we didn't want to define it because we were just basically going to box people into those definitions. And I think that... Which is exactly what we don't like doing, so... Yeah, we don't want four pillars on our world. <laughs> okay, so I have a thought. I think initially, when I thought about doing this discussion... I think it would have been more about how do we, uh, how much is enough world building before you start a campaign? Um, I know initially that's what I was thinking about. How much do you need to actually go in and start playing? And I think when we started to break that down, each of us have a different definition of what we require to start our campaign and it's a different process to get to all of those things yeah so i think in trying to define how much do we need and how do we get there we got caught up in well what is it what uh what parts are go into it and i think for each of us it's a little bit different so trying to break that down is where it got convoluted but I think that's a good start to think about. I was never on that page. <laughs> well, I think honest. it's on a. I think it would be a good start. What? I was never on the page of. Go, yeah, go ahead, Jared. Well, let him finish. No, you go ahead because I'm going to go into a thought. I was never on that page of how much. Oh God, this lag isn't there. Is that what's going on? Okay. Um. Anyways, I was never on the same page of how much do we need to continue a campaign. I was always thinking about what is world building and how do you go about it. So I, I purposely, I guess, pulled us into the weeds if that was what you were intending from the start. Yeah, I think it was. My intention was to stay above the weeds. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Sorry, I think I think it was, but I didn't know how to put it into words to tell you guys that. So that was my original intention. And in trying to put it towards you guys, I, I lost track i but i think that's a good start for us to think about you know how much do we think is enough before we start our campaign just i mean we don't have to go into the weeds on this i just want like a quick you um, know one or two sentence about you know what you think is sufficient before you start the game okay i can do this easy uh it will depend on every campaign that you run uh it will be different but However much you need to feel comfortable to sit down for longer than two hours and be all right. <laughs> you wanted it short, Jason. Uh, so there's there's from what I'm taking from you, Jared, is there's no method as to what you try to goals or or steps that you go towards getting it to that point. That's what I mean when I say it depends on the campaign. If I'm doing a very open-world campaign like The Divided Coast, which we've mentioned several times, that I literally just needed the very first village, and then I could just build it around you guys as we went. Because I knew that first village would have been enough for one session. Gotcha. Gotcha. For the, for the Five Aces game that I'm setting up to uh, run for you, I wanted to have six months of background information that would be going on in sync with the players. 
because that's what I decided on doing. Uh, so yeah, it just kind of depends on how much I I feel comfortable with and what my intentions are. Okay. No. So. That, and that sets some guidelines on on the kind of yeah. game and the campaign you're want, wanting to run. I know that I kind of have those same thoughts, but I I think I I stay consistent with uh, how I do it each time I approach it. But we'll get into the weeds a little bit later. I just wanted to know your process. I also want to just clarify. I have made about three campaigns that I've actually had more than one player for. And in total, I've made about seven campaigns. And, well, nine if you count the ones that never actually fully exist. That means that I have very little experience compared to you and Jason, I believe. That's why I always go to you to see where your process is and where it starts. uh, In comparison to what Jason does and what I do. And I appreciate that. It's well, nice that you get some young folk on here. Yeah, we got to have you, a young uh, voice. Otherwise, it's just two old farts talking well, about the same about, thing over and over again. What about you, Michael? What? Yes, Jason. Uh, old fart like, number two. Do you have a set amount, or do you you kind of feel the same way Jared does? No, there are there are a couple of things I shoot for right off the bat when I'm world building. Once I've decided what game I'm going to play, that usually encompasses the theme or the the, the tones that I want to go for, and then I start setting some locations some NPCs, and maybe a little bit of history. But once, you know, those elements are already in the back of my mind, I shoot for the moment that I'm ready to present the story. And if I've got enough background, I've built up some of the atmosphere, some of the plot lines. Those are all part of that flexible area. But the solid points come from what kind of game you want. For example, if I'm doing a World of Darkness game, I usually choose a modern city if I'm doing a modern setting. And then I kind of pick some elements out of it to tie it together. And then I want to know what uh, you know time period I'm going to shoot for. But that gets into the campaign uh, building of the story and everything. So I don't want to go too far down that road. But I basically want the players, once they once once I've got these things prepped... I want them to be able to, and they can ask me a question, and I will have an answer and know how their players, no matter who or what they are, I have some answers for them. So that's kind of what I shoot for, is to be ready for those questions from the players. So would you say that when you're world building, you also have to have some campaign building in there as well, or could you just build a world and then start playing? Well, I think I think about the campaign while I'm world building, because I want to make sure that it's just like when you're thinking about something. If you, you're focused on this aspect of your world, how did it get there? How is it going to apply to the campaign? Could it apply in this way? And I'll jot down notes. And then I, I make sure that those stay to the side so that when I'm ready to do the storyline, I can look at those notes and boom, a lot of it is constructed from that point. Okay, so it's not that you have to have it, it's just that you take advantage of the opportunities, yeah. which is appropriate. Which is why it's very difficult for this conversation to be defined by, you know, just one or the other. I, I, I really think that when we think about the simplistic terms uh, a lot of content providers give us of hard and soft, or I think that sometimes that makes it too simple. And I think we're all not too simple. Sorry. I make everybody laugh. I'm sorry. Content creators broke me. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'd like to 
<laughs> I'd like to insert a thought here. You know, as I'm listening to Jared talk, I think about some of the ways that I started designing things. And I think for me, it really comes down to how much time do I have? When I was younger and I had a ton of time, I would build worlds and matter to me if I ever had players. I was just building these worlds and having fun building the world. Once I was able to throw people into it, I had all of that stuff made. But now as I'm older and, you know, I spend a lot of time doing other things outside of that world building, now it's more campaign building for me. Once I know a campaign start, I'm like, okay, how much material do I need to start this campaign? Jared's question really made me think about, you know, how, how do I define that? Like now, for me now, I build for campaigns. I put together something for once I know a campaign's going. But I won't build anything until I know I have a set of players ready to play in a game. Yeah, you just don't have the time for that free, just full creation of a world. I'm with you. I At one point in my life, I could just sit down and I could create a world. I'd have a book and I'd be reading through it and I'd go, you know what would be great is to do this. Set down that idea and then build around it. Not worry about whether the players were going to be engaging with it. Because it was just my free time, my hobby. Now, you you barely have time to prep for the next session. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in a similar spot. I've had... Real quick, I'm, I very much, when I first started this, was going hard on it. And I was putting, like, sometimes 16 hours a day into world creation just because I enjoyed it. And it was fun. Nowadays, I don't do that because I would burn out. But I can still easily put four hours a day, where I don't think either of you could even do that. Put four hours every single day of a week into a campaign, a world build, yeah. So it is a big factor of time, which I hadn't even considered. Yeah, I think, as Michael said, that like I've literally had, you know, especially when I was working a ton of time when all of the COVID started happening, I was putting in more hours at work. I was sitting down minutes before the game started and writing out two or three sentences worth of material that I could use to in that session to carry it forward and that was it that was my whole prep time <laughs> sometimes and so I, yeah I think I think it really comes down to how much time do you have to invest in what you're doing now when you're doing your when you're but, doing your world building in the beginning you can you'll have that time and you you'll prepare for those moments when you only have two minutes to write shit down. True. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's why I do a lot of upfront prep so that when I get to points when I don't have a whole lot of world building time or campaign building or session building, then I can pull from that material that I wrote out initially. I do a lot of things that I call modules for that where I basically just have two or three paragraphs detailing uh, a scenario, but not enough, like, hard mechanics so they could be brought into any game, or blah blah blah, that I use to supplement whenever I don't have time. I just wanted to talk about what I do. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, no, you're fine, you're fine. I... I just wanted to get a, you know, some information on, you know, that, and I'm glad we jumped into that because then that made me think, you know, well, yeah, it really does come down to time. 
But yeah, I think what I'd like to do is just have on a, us just discuss each one of these pieces and just kind of talk about how important they are to us and how we feel about them. So, you know, as Jared talked about, um, we have setting and NPCs, atmosphere, plot lines, and player immersion. So I'd like to just delve into each one of those separately, if that's okay with you guys. Oh, uh, yeah. And I'll speak for Michael, too. Yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> I'm going to give a verbal response. <laughs> without... I can give uh, a verbal response, but usually that leads into a longer discussion, so... Well, you're the editor, so, you know, I'm fine with this. Jared, yeah, um, I Your think... next episode will be blank. <laughs> Go ahead, Jason. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> The the lag today is really bad. I gotta say, this is it, it really is. annoying. I've noticed like yours is pretty. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, my computer's being. Don't worry, we'll fix it in post. Ridiculous today, but anyway, what I was gonna say is, I think Jared, I'd like you to start off with setting because I think you know you talked about how you use setting as kind of a a living element, and I think. Um, that should be something yeah. that you start with. But uh, a forewarning, I will be working on cutting you off when I feel like you're you're droning on. Go ahead and go into setting. I, <laughs> I'll, I'll accept that. Um, I will be patiently want, listening. I'll just, I'll just do a quick overview of what I consider setting. And what I consider setting is basically every single piece. I call them articles. And it can be a building, it can be a idea, it can be a scene, it can be just about anything. And I know that that's not how most people use setting, but oh well. Uh, to describe how I use it to drive a plot line, which is I think what Jason wanted, right? I'm just going to assume that's a yes. Uh, <laughs> is, for example, uh, he mentioned earlier how a people couldn't drive, or he didn't use people... Uh, a type of pe- This is an awkward conversation, so I'm just going to skip over and we'll just say a nation instead. Uh, he wouldn't use a nation to drive the plot forward. But when I was actually writing up examples for the next episode where we get more into depth about our personal process, I actually made a note of exactly doing that. I decided that I wanted, in this campaign, I wanted the players to change the nation in some way. Because I wanted them to do that. So, towards that end, I would have to make the nation something that the players would want to change. And so I just made it a set piece that I know the people I play with wouldn't agree with, or whatnot. And then it will drive the plot in the direction I wanted. Because I know their reactions. If I didn't know their reactions, I probably would have done it more generalized, and then once I had played with them a few sessions, made it so that, you know, I would have changed things subtly behind the scenes, or I would have added in a few more footnotes to uh, help guide them in that direction. But that's exactly what I was doing. Did that answer your question, Jason? Uh, well, I do have a question for you. Okay, so I talked about how, for me, NPCs drive things forward, right, and not the setting. Now, you're talking mm -hmm. about a nation... Right? Them changing the nation, right? Yes. But who's who's controlling the nation? It really specific people. It so nope. uh while they could go about it that way, um 
I'm more so talking about the nation as an entity. And not, uh, I'm not talking about, hey, yeah, they could just go kill the king, or they could just go, you know, eliminate all priests, or they could just do whatever. And that would change the nation. However, it wouldn't be them changing the NPCs, or them changing the NPCs would be a part of them changing the nation. So there's a, there's a disconnect there for me, where the goal, when I say changing the nation, I, I mean that they have pretty much unlimited options to doing so. They don't have to interact with those NPCs if they don't want to. They could go find other NPCs, or they could just start a printing press and, you know, not have any direct contact with any NPCs and just change the ideology through time, you know? It's up to the players how they want to do that. Okay, so then my question is, what material would you put together for it to be that open? I would, up front, before the Zero Session, I would create the nation to... Let's assume I'm not playing with you guys. Let's assume I'm playing with a new group. I would make a nation have just general bad feelings. Uh, Like, for example, the people in power abuse power in the streets, in the open. You know, they abuse peasantry or whatnot. Uh, Corruption is widespread. Let's say there's droughts going on and it's affecting farmlands, but, you know, there's still feasts being held every day by the high priests, blah, blah, blah. You just make a general a general feeling that the people wouldn't like. And that's all I would need, really. So what, what you're saying is you create the atmosphere. Yes, in that particular case, uh, the atmosphere would be the most important piece. Okay, okay. I was just curious. I, like, for me, I know if I... For me, organizations can have an effect like an NPC. They, they are not, they're, they're like a corporation. They have no face except for, you know, a spokesperson, but they act as an entity that will sometimes affect the atmosphere, like Jason's saying. They also will act like an NPC, like Jared is saying. So I think they can kind of be both, but. Yeah, see, like for me, I can't think of an entity without applying like who's leading that entity who are their people that are like their right hand left hand like i put those npcs i define who's running that nation and kind of use them to direct where this thing would go but i can't think of it as just the nation itself so that's why i have to ask because to me it makes no sense <laughs> because mm-hmm. i can't but but when it comes to uh, I'm aware when it comes to nations and corporations and faceless organizations, they can provide that, for example, patriotism in a nation or nationalism, those feelings of the atmosphere that start to soak into every person in that world, and that's not controlled by anybody except for that first message. Like we all have an understanding what it means to be. A member of this nation and it comes from our history and it comes from the, the the politics and all of that gets layered on top of it and it creates something that's outside of what an mpc is actually having an effect but at the same time it can also be an mpc that's giving that message as we've seen in history before where a popular figure will start to add comments and change the vernacular of everybody around us so i think it lies in that gray area of both 
being both. Yeah, I don't I don't think that you guys are wrong. I just again yeah. for me my brain has trouble processing those types of definitions. And I don't I don't think you're I don't. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong either, Jason. I just I think we all have I also our don't ideas. think you're alone, Jason. I think there's plenty of listeners who would absolutely agree with you that I'm speaking nonsense. Why have you heard anything <laughs> that I've said to other people? I mean, a spit of it has gotten back to me. Uh, I think we uh, cut Jared off, Damn. or I cut Jared off, but I'd <laughs> like to hear from Michael on... Uh, no, I was asking for your feedback. I'd like to hear from Michael on what what he, you know, thinks of setting, what his thoughts are on it. Well, when I first look at starting a game or a campaign, I think about setting as not only the backdrop of the world itself, the people who live in it, but... I, I want to create the atmosphere of the world. Take, for example, in the mentioned game that I ran in World of Darkness, I set it up so that it was taking place in a time period where there was a lot of anger and frustration in the nation, in the world. And that anger and frustration started to have its effect on the players and started to become part of the setting. I'd never tried anything like that before, but it was one little aspect of the setting that I had in there. The other part is the thing that Jason was talking about, that the direction that is being pushed by your NPCs who are the enactors of the plot lines that you have in the background that the players will occasionally cross paths with. You should never limit your scope of the world or your setting to what's going on in front of the players. Have some things going on in the background. Uh, I'm going to probably refer to Blades again many times over the years, but Blades kind of taught me that there's things going on in the background and you don't have to um, make them evident until it's already passed. There's an aspect in the mechanic called a fortune roll where you roll and see what the other factions are doing that you want to eventually have an effect on the, the group as. So background... Uh, events are part of this setting, and that's part of that atmosphere. When it comes to plot lines, I like to set up a bunch of story hooks and problems, toss them on the table, and pray to God somebody pays attention to one or two of them. Uh, in in the world mm. of darkness, it's easy to do. I can just I do a newspaper, and it has five articles. I throw it on the table, and then you go wherever you want with that. So I think. Those elements okay. of setting are the first steps I take. Yeah, I think, oh, man, for setting, for me, it's, I think it, you know, I've talked, I talked about it where I, I to me, it's kind of like the dead elements. You know, when I was setting up the underground level and five aces, and it was like, okay, what's the district? What's some buildings in that district? What is, you know, what does it look like in that area? and you know, what what people live there, whatever. Like, it's just, you know, just some quick cut and dry thing. What is this? What is this? What is this? What is this? And it's just there so that when I have to describe the area that someone's going into, or I have to come up with something as you guys go into there, like, oh, you know, you guys have arrived in this area, Maybe not with anything particular in mind, you know, what sort of businesses are there? What sort of people are there? 
And so for me, those setting material is just there for me to draw improvisation from. So those are the quick pieces for me to, to come up with for setting. I think the other more living parts are when I go into like NPCs and atmosphere and plot lines. I feel like that's a, that's a pretty good definition of what setting is. I'd like to I'd like to do NPCs and I think I'll let Michael start this one off because uh, I've learned a lot about how to create my NPCs from Michael. So I'll go ahead and let him jump first. Why would you do that? So it's sometimes the easiest thing is creating a simple one person NPC when you start a story. You want to create that character and give it kind of a motivation as to why it's pushing the story along. What are the goals? What is how does it have the ability to do this? What's its history? What's what motivated it to get to this point? And when those elements are brought together, that NPC becomes a driving force behind the scenes most of the time. I can call back to the the days when I was first thinking about my Legends of the Five Rings game. I knew that I wanted to present the players with a mystery where they they didn't even know who the force behind all of the activities were until session five or six. They knew something was going on. They had seen its effects. And when it came to the NPC that was pushing all of this, I had a, a very defined role and reason why that person was doing these things. And because I had that and I hadn't introduced this person... That's all that was really there for that that person until they, I knew they were going to run into this particular uh, character. Once I had set that up in the beginning, creating some other key players in the cast, I knew that they were going to interact with these, and that became consideration for making them a little more detailed, their personality and how they interact with the players and what their motivations were. And because they were more interactive, I developed different personalities for them. So what I suggest to new GMs is look at what you want to do with your story. The story arc and plot line can be there, but who are going to be the major players? If you have a difficult time understanding that, look at a simple play like Romeo and Juliet. Everybody knows Romeo and Juliet, but what is it that drives them to do what they do? Who are the characters that they interact with? What is the the big overarching plot of the, the play? It has nothing to do with who Romeo and Juliet are until it's revealed that the reason that the two families are fighting is nonsense. But how do you learn that? You don't learn it from them. They're worried about loving each other for some unknown reason. Mm -hmm. But... The other NPCs are the ones that are giving you the real story. They're the ones taking action and pushing these these characters to do things. Players become the protagonists, but sometimes their actions aren't what's driving the story. You want it to be, but sometimes it doesn't. So NPCs have to take that spot of being the bridge between their story and the PCs. So for me, that's what an NPC should fall into. Now, it doesn't have to be a person. I agree that we have some... Some NPCs that can be forces of nature. Locations can be an NPC because they're driving a, a story. Atmosphere can be an NPC because it's driving a story. But that's um, from my point of view. Some people wouldn't uh, consider those things NPCs. 
So as a GM, when you're going into it, define that for yourself. That's my first piece of advice. I have a question real quick. I have an answer real quick. So you described NPCs as anything that's not a player that's driving the plot line? Yes. Okay. That's interesting because the way I describe NPCs is a bit different than that. So, Say you've got a story that's about the weather, a hurricane. Uh-huh. That's an NPC that's coming and affecting the story and driving things. Players are interacting with that NPC storm or any kind of force of nature. A, a volcano, a, a very powerful god who's decided to express their power by, you know, destroying their worshippers or whatever the gods do. I, I see those yeah. as pushing the story. And that's, to me, what an NPC is there to express your ideas to the table and let the players <laughs> interact with those ideas. I'm not going to change the definition of my NPC, <laughs> but I do like yours. And I'm probably going to change, I'm going to probably steal it and slap another name on it. That's fine. It, it's fine if you steal my ideas, just give Jason all the credit. Nope, it's an original idea. Says why? I actually know exactly what it is, too. While Jason uh, likes to peace. While Jason likes to give me credit for for doing that for him, I kind of learned a little bit about NPCs from watching him run his first few games. Um, because he had he had some very energetic and very dynamic NPCs that I learned to not only just interact with but also hate on a on a personal level. And I don't know, maybe maybe I hate Jason. I don't know. You do. <laughs> Boiler. Uh real quick. I just want to say now that I've thought about it a little bit more, what you're describing as NPCs is exactly what I was trying to name when I was laboring that nation and entity. No, I was going to tell you, I wanted to hear... Uh, an entity is something that I would... Anything that would drive the plot for me is kind of what I would name it as. But I will let uh, Jason go next, because he seems to be wanting to. Definition. Go. Go ahead. Talk. Oh, hear my... Oh, I didn't hear the definition part. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I didn't say it. I just <laughs> stop cutting off your sentences. Do I really have to finish every sentence? <laughs> yes, Jason. It's called communication. My audio just peaked to hell. Jason, Damn it. he's never been in customer service. He doesn't know how to anticipate your needs. No, I anticipate it, but I also anticipate him to continue talking. He um. Anyway, I understood what he was talking. You know about. what? <laughs> you know what it is, Jared. I'm so used to getting cut off at the end of my sentence that I've just stopped saying it. <laughs> I kind of, I'll be honest, I thought about two, and I just didn't want to out myself. <laughs> but I'm glad you realized Honestly, it. Honestly, dude, like, um, the end of my sentences almost always get cut off when I'm listening back to the recordings. And I think, with, subconsciously, I've just started stopping the end of my sentences. It's entirely true, and it's mostly my fault. I apologize. <laughs> Anyway, uh, for me, NPCs, uh, barring the fact that they can be anything, I really do use them similarly to uh, Michael. I don't go as in-depth, though. I usually, like, going with that nation, I would just choose a few. I would wait for one session and then choose a few uh, targets that I think the group is heading towards and create them. Uh, one thing I do like to do that Jason, oh, god damn it, that Michael didn't, uh, mention is, I personally like to make a few NPCs 
around the players that don't have any purpose or drive to connect with the players. And I do this purposefully to, A, have something that, because uh, you never know what players grab onto. I'll often do this, and then suddenly a player is like, ooh, that's an interesting character. I want to engage with them, which is one of the reasons why I do it. The other reason is uh, I use these set dressing, I guess, NPCs to kind of show the to show the world in motion and to show the setting and the atmosphere through. So uh, the players can witness. It's kind of like in a video game where the players witness, you know, a bunch of NPCs suffering or something, or, you know, an NPC is a vehicle to rebel or whatnot. I kind of use these NPCs that I don't intend for the players to interact with as a way to just... I think I'm just repeating myself. Yeah, it's fine, you know? We'll just, uh, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> did, I, did I get my point yeah, across? Yeah, for the most yeah. part, Jared. Did I get yeah, my point across? Part. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm... It's 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 That's nice to hear you guys give your definitions because um, I think for me an NPC is always a person in my head. For me, life is I defined agree, by my interactions with people. That's why this online gaming stuff for me is so difficult because my interaction together with a person that's the reason I game. I don't game. I mean I I enjoy certain themes in gaming. And not to say that I don't like fantasy or anything, but the main reason I game is for the interaction with people. And so that's kind of what drives my stories forward is what the interaction with the people in the games look like. And so for me, NPCs are always just people. And if it's something else like, you know, you guys were talking about like a nation or a storm, that to me just falls back on, you know, is it setting or... I, I mean, I guess I never really thought about what the definition of it was but if i was asked i would probably put it into atmosphere or setting or you know something along those lines but it's good to hear your guys's definition of it which i just want to say again real quick that's entirely <laughs> fine and correct that's the whole reason why yeah, we had yeah, such we a struggle with a... this topic you know i really do i <laughs> i really do think that that is is the uh, heart of the matter is why we were having such a difficult time with this conversation. But having the conversation the way we have had it, I think we've all come now, after the conversation is you know coming to a close, I think that we could define it a little better. And my hope is that as we go forward, we're going to be able to take these elements and we're going to be able to redefine them and they'll become their own topic, their own show. We'll, we will analyze them and redefine them as we gain more experience using them. So Michael brought up a good thing here. I, I didn't realize how far along we were on this. So rather than going really in depth on what plot lines are and atmosphere, I think we covered atmosphere pretty well already in our discussion of setting. But I think I'd just like to touch on the topic of player immersion and then we can delve into plot lines kind of as we talk about how we do everything in our next episode. So I'd just like to take a little bit of time to talk about player immersion. Yeah, Go ahead, Jerry. I'll be... All right. 
Oh, I was just going to say, in the next episode, I'll probably delve pretty hard on atmosphere and get the basics of plotline across. So don't worry, I got those covered. I can drone on about them. And I, I think player immersion is something that uh, you you should start off with, Jason. I think you've got a better grasp of what you're looking for there. Yeah, I think I didn't really, you know, until we started discussing this topic and, you know, uh, we each watched some videos that Michael recommended and one of them, you know, was kind of discussed uh, hard and soft in a literary terms of world building. And one of the topics that they brought up multiple times was player immersion and or reader immersion, but they kept using the word immersion. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But I, you know, and then as I was listening to it, everything to me was converting to how does this apply to gaming? And I had always used mm-hmm. player immersion as a concept when I'm writing a campaign. You know, how do I want my players to feel about certain things? How do I want them to feel a part of the campaign that I'm uh, developing? I just never had a term for it. So now that I've heard that and, and we talked about it and gave it the name player immersion. Now to me, it's easy to talk about it and say, Hey, this is player immersion. So anyway, to me, player immersion is using the elements of your world, your story, what you're creating for your campaign and using those elements to draw your players into it enough that they feel that they're a part of it. And you know, I'll talk about that in the next episode about, you know, what some of my techniques are that I use to get my players to feel the way. But um, to me, it's one of the most important parts of world building because when you can get your players to feel like they've created a part of that world and they tie their characters to parts of that world then it makes it really easy for them to improvise, for to roleplay, to feel comfortable with all of the elements in your game as they go forward and, you know, really grow as a character in your game. That's uh, that's player emergent for me. Jared or Michael, you guys want to give a thought on that? Uh, I'm getting pointed at, so I guess I'll do it. Um, To me... I kind of break down player immersion into two separate things. One is the engagement of the player on a kind of a plot or a world setting. Uh, a great way of this is what we've talked about before with how Jason asked his questionnaire and how he got us to describe rumors or he got us to uh, decide on a shop or something inside the world. And then the other one is more storytelling immersion, where when you're DMing or GMing or whatever you want to call it, how you kind of state things and speak to kind of draw the players into the world. Uh, using Jason again as an example, he has a very good way of changing his cadence and speech patterns whenever you're talking to an NPC to really just draw you into a conversation with that NPC. I've seen other GMs do a very good job describing the setting or talking about, like, the wind blowing or the smells in the air, and that really helps draw a player in as well. But that's more storytelling, whereas the other one is the one I feel more pertinent 
to uh, the conversation is t- how do you engage your people or your players after you wall build? And I don't really know if there's ever really a good answer for that, I'll be honest. I think the best way is to give them a small amount of power to influence the story even before it begins, to influence the setting, let them create things, and let them have a voice. Let them have some uh, agency besides the character. What? (laughs) I said shared narrative. Shared narrative. (laughs) I mean, that is the term that we've been trying to push, and it's the thing that I forgot for the last ten minutes. Leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, what I was describing is exactly what we try for when we're sh- uh, talking about shared narrative. And that is kind of what I think it is about, is giving people some agency besides their character. Yeah, definitely. And I think I answered your question. Yes, sir. Yeah, so player immersion comes to me with that first step that you take when you're trying to get player buy-in. I think that's the first aspect of it for me in my campaign. Once I have convinced the players that my game is going to be entertaining enough that they will engage with it before we've even started, that's when the player immersion is going to happen, the first step. The next step comes in the zero (laughs) session when they're creating their character and they really kind of make their character part of the world. That, That immersion starts to sink in. The atmosphere starts to sink in. They start to engage with the world. And as Jared was saying, they help create some of the world. That That's their moment. So that that's the second thing. And then the third thing is usually I will take elements of their background and sprinkle it into the plot or the story. And at that point, the players latch on. I think to my Legends of the Five Rings game where I am just tormenting a poor battle maiden with the idea that just haphazardly, this uh, scorpion general has destroyed an entire unit of her battle sisters without regard as to who they were. And this has really engaged that player in the idea that he didn't really care and I really care about them. The immersion starts to sink in. So I think there's that three-step for me. And it's also when I'm the player, I have those, those steps. I've I've had that moment when I get into one of Jason's games, like in his Bleak Rising game when I was playing Paul, where I started to engage the uh, setting and the story with a, uh, a an emotion that I was going to have some effect on this world, even if it killed me. And it ended up, poor Paul, he, he wanted to have an effect on the world and change, kind of redeem himself as that he was not a selfish person, even though he was. And he found out, very quickly that he wasn't that important anyway. So the idea is that I immersed into that and engaged with uh, Jason's story in that fashion. Yeah, I think to me, I always try and add elements into my story that have to do with the backgrounds of players, but I think it's still something I'm learning to do properly. I don't think I have intentions, but it doesn't always come up as readily as I want it to. So that's something I'm definitely still working on is tying in elements of people's background into stories. But that's definitely something that should go towards immersing your players. And that should be something that you're coming up with as you're doing world building after the zero session. Uh, Yeah. So I think that pretty much covers everything that we want to lay down as a foundation. 
Michael, if you would like to give us just a quick wrap-up. All right, I will uh, flex my muscles here again. I think when we came into this discussion talking about world-building, we really had mixed ideas of how to define it. And I think in the, the discussion that we've had so far, we have learned a little bit about how each of us defines it and where our common ground can be. I hope that as we've come to the conclusions that we have, that new GMs, as they come into presenting their games, start to use some of these elements of atmosphere and plot to help build their world and shape it how they want to do it without without making it too strict and rigid. Uh, because to me, rigid becomes stagnant and then stagnant becomes boring. You want your world to stay very dynamic. And that's that would be my final word on that. Stay dynamic. I also want to point out, thank you, Michael, for... Uh... For choosing the two that we did not discuss as the two in your closing yeah. statement. <laughs> All right. You're well, we will. But just imagine, just imagine the audience is going to say, wait, you didn't define those. <laughs> We're going to have to go to the next episode to listen and define what the definition of those two things. <laughs> <laughs> we got them. We All right. Them. <laughs> well, we'll go ahead and sign off and. We will uh, see you guys on the next episode where we go into our process on this uh, world-building subject. This has been Jason. This has been Michael. And this has been Jared. Bye-bye. This has been a production of 7th Level Bardcast. Copyright 2020. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to 7th Level Bardcast. You can find links to previous shows, resources, and our social media at 7thlevelbardcast.com. Also, through our Discord link on the website, we invite our audience to join us to offer feedback or suggest a topic, or for a quick conversation. If you wish to support the show, like, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcatcher. Music provided by Arthur Venke. Music provided by Arthur Venke.